Parliamentary committee asks CBSA to not deport hundreds of international students who were scammed when they came to Canada. A Suncor executive helped draft a new federal government climate change document. A Ukrainian journalist who's worked with the Globe and Mail cannot get his press credentials renewed in Ukraine. And volunteers and UNICEF have evacuated nearly 300 children from a Sudanese orphanage amid fighting. Good morning. It's Friday, June 9th. I'm Nora, and here are your headlines. A group of international students from India might be spared deportation after a parliamentary committee voted unanimously to ask CBSA to give the students an alternative pathway to permanent residency. Hundreds of students have been given doctored admission letters to schools in Canada. They didn't realize that this had happened until border agents flagged their applications. But this was years after they had actually come to Canada. In some cases, if they had arrived and found out that their educational opportunities were different than promised, they just enrolled elsewhere. This meant that the students had already done courses and were applying for postgraduate work permits by the time CBSA realized there was a problem with their applications. The motion to call for their deportations to be stopped was served by NDP MP Jenny Kwan. The committee has asked Ministers Sean Fraser and Marco Manduccino to brief the committee on the student situations. The committee cannot actually stop deportations, reports the Toronto Star's Nicholas Kung. The article doesn't mention the work of the Najawan Support Network, a group that defends the rights of international students and has been organizing to stop these deportations by protesting outside politicians and CBSA offices. Spring Magazine quoted Lovepreet Singh, one of the affected students, who at a rally outside Marco Mendicino's office said this, The deportation orders have not stopped. These students have done nothing wrong, and they are being punished for the actions of unregulated recruiters who misrepresent them. Next, Carl Meyer with the Narwhal is reporting that Suncor helped to draft a climate change strategy that was supposed to be released in 2022, but has still not yet come out. Documents that Meyer received through access to information show that Chris Grant, who is Suncor's VP of Regional Development, influenced the early development of the government's forthcoming carbon management strategy. He was picked by a top staffer at Natural Resources Canada to give, quote, private advice to the department concerning carbon capture, utilization and storage, unquote. Grant was one of 13 members of an advisory group. Shell also had a rep on the group, and so did BMO and Scotiabank. A cement industry lobby group was also there and several so-called clean tech firm representatives. It took the Narwhal two access to information requests to get this document. The first netting the classic reply, oh, there's nothing here that talks about that. The oil and gas industry sees carbon capture as an important part of their future. The Pathways Alliance is a group of six companies who all operate in the tar sands, which includes Suncor. They want at least $10 billion from the government to build, quote, a mammoth unprecedented system, unquote, that would take carbon from oil sands operations and pipe it into a reservoir in the east part of Alberta. There is no compelling evidence that carbon capture can be scaled up to be big enough to actually do what the oil companies are wanting it to do. You should check out the feature. It goes on from there and is much more in depth than the overview that I'm giving you now. But it's a good look at just how much government and oil companies are happy to work together and explains why there is so little urgency they seem to have to get Canada off its dependency on oil. 
Next to Canadian news related to Ukraine, Anton Skyba, a Globe and Mail photojournalist, has lost his media accreditation in Ukraine. Authorities demanded that he submit to a lie detector test, questioned if his work is, quote, aligned with the country's national interests, unquote, and whether or not he had a Russian passport. Skyba has worked as a photographer, translator and reporter. And for the Globe and Mail, he's worked as a freelancer and on contract. Side note, don't rely on freelancers in a war zone. Give them some job security. My God. He was also a finalist for the National Newspaper Awards this year for a photo that he took. Skyba has been reporting on Russia in Ukraine since 2015. He was among the first journalists to be accredited by Ukraine when Russia had invaded. Skyba is from the quote-unquote temporarily occupied territories of eastern Ukraine, as he calls them. And Ukrainian officials have grilled him about his own background as it relates to his origins in the Donbass. His parents have Russian passports and still live in the Donbass. Skyba isn't a big fan of the pro-Russian leaders there. While working for CNN in 2014, he was abducted by separatists and beaten and held for days. And he's not alone in not having his credentials renewed. While at the start of the invasion, Ukraine handed out thousands of accreditations to journalists, it started to revoke credentials for journalists from The New York Times, NBC, CNN, Sky News, and two Ukrainian outlets. NBC and The New York Times had their credentials reinstated. The Times had reported on the use of cluster bombs by Ukraine, and NBC had entered Crimea from Moscow, which violates Ukrainian laws. The Ukrainian government has been tightening what it allows journalists to report on. Here's this from the article. Quote, Ukraine forbids journalists from reporting numerous aspects of the war, including the location of military installations, number of personnel, details of combat operations or troop deployments, information on downed jets or ships, or content seen as, quote, promoting or justification of Russia's large-scale armed aggression against Ukraine, unquote. The Globe reports that at least 10 Ukrainian journalists have had a hard time getting their accreditation renewed. All had worked within the occupied territories or had been to Russia at some point since 2014. And finally, local activists, UNICEF and the Red Cross have saved about 300 children and 70 caregivers from an orphanage in Khartoum in Sudan. They had been cut off by recent fighting from food and other supplies. 67 children had died at the orphanage since April due to hunger. Democracy Now! reports that drinking water and other necessities are scarce. The activists started a private evacuation of children between the ages of 4 and 15. Hiba Abdella told BBC that they had, quote, extracted them from certain death to a fate that I hope is better. They had to drive for four hours in minibuses, and all the minibuses had written on them that they were full of children in the hopes that neither side would attack them. During the operation, one child died from malnutrition. The hope is that the children can be adopted in the regions where they now are. Those are your headlines for Friday, June 9th. I'm Nora. You know what? Tomorrow's my birthday. So why don't you do yourself a favor and buy yourself a drink on me, a coffee or beer? No, wait, it doesn't really work like that, does it? Anyway, uh, I'll be celebrating. I'll be older by the time I talk to you on the other side of this weekend. And I hope you have some nice weather. I hope that the smoke has diminished wherever you are and that the sun comes out.